Greetings and welcome everyone. I am Father Bill Nicholas. It is Friday, February 12th, 2021, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome everyone to this inaugural podcast of Faith, Hope, and History with Father Bill Nicholas. I am your host, Father Bill. I am a Catholic priest from the Archdiocese of San Francisco here in California. Many people would call it the West Coast. Some people would call it the Left Coast. But whatever coast you call it, uh, San Francisco is a beautiful town. And I serve at the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral here in San Francisco. And I welcome you all to this inaugural podcast, uh, which I have entitled Faith, Hope, and History. It's uh, something slightly different I hope to bring to the usual uh, podcast that priests will present. Uh, and of course, there are numerous ones, but the difference I hope is found in the title of the podcast, which is Faith, Hope, and History. Of course, faith being uh, what I am all about and what hopefully all of us are all about, but me in particular, it is my profession, it's my vocation, and it is what I've dedicated my life to as a priest. I hope to talk about various aspects of the Catholic faith, the Christian faith, uh, and not just uh, nebulous ideas regarding faith, but some of the concrete elements of the Catholic Christian faith, uh, the scriptures, the um, Old and New Testaments, which form a, an important part of our life as a people of faith, but also in how we worship, the worship life of the church, but also many of the, uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church, some of which uh, we love to talk about, others are somewhat as we like to put it, controversial because they fly in the face of modern, secular, progressive, atheistic uh, forces in our society. And uh, and let's face it, it's not always easy to live the Catholic faith as uh, Christ has given it to us, but we have been given that task to live the standards that God has living, uh, given to us. And I hope as part of this podcast to uh, talk about the various aspects of the Catholic faith uh, and not the least of which is what they are, but why we have those teachings, why we have those standards, why we are called to live the kind of uh, values and standards that we are called to live, and what is the foundation of many of those standards. If you look in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you'll see in a very thick book uh, many, many teachings of the Catholic Church that fall into various categories, but also you'll see references to documents of the early fathers of the church, documents of the Vatican councils that the church has held throughout its history, as well as uh, quotations of scripture that form the basis and the foundation for the teachings of the church, which are not held frivolously, nor are they taught in a vacuum. They come from something, and they come from the rich tradition and the rich foundation that we all have as a people of faith. The second uh, mark of this title of the podcast is hope and hope I pretty much put down as the finer things of life uh, I enjoy reading I enjoy going to the movies I enjoy uh, fishing in the outdoors uh, there are uh, another a number of things that I enjoy doing and I hope to uh, bring those into discussion as uh, as I visit with you uh, on this regular basis uh, I enjoy reading especially the classics uh, but especially in difficult times for our nation or challenging times for our nation I also like to read from uh, history. I enjoy uh, biographies of uh, great historical figures. I enjoy biographies of the kings and queens of England and what the history of that country entails, the biographies of the presidents of the United States and other great political figures here 
in this country. I also enjoy going to the movies, but I especially like the older classics uh, during what was called the Golden Age of Hollywood, and even beyond the Golden Age, from the 40s and 50s and 60s. But I also enjoy seeing a lot of the films that come out today, and sometimes they move me to include them in hol uh, homilies, to include them in preaching, or in writings that, that I'll uh, put forth on my website, or for our diocesan uh, newspaper, uh, when I had written for the, for the paper. I enjoy fishing, especially you know, when they actually bite. I've been doing that since I've been age seven. It's been a while now, but every now and again when I go out there, I just enjoy the outdoors. And when people ask me, uh, have I ever been to the Holy Land uh, for a while? I said, yes, I go every year. And they're astounded by that uh, because you know they think of the Holy Land in terms of the Middle East. Then I clarify to them, I tell them where I like to go fishing and where uh, my family and I have been fishing for, for many years. That is my Holy Land, and, and that's where I enjoy uh, going. And I also enjoy, enjoy traveling, uh, especially throughout the United States. Uh, I have traveled abroad on occasion, but I try and see as much as I can of this country, and I hope to talk about those travels and the uh, visiting of, of beautiful uh, natural sites and beautiful historical sites that uh, mean a lot to me as uh, an American and to this nation, to the, and to the history of this nation. And so under hope, it could be a whole lot of different things that I like to uh, will bring up uh, the various ways in which I and hopefully all of us enjoy our lives and, and bring spice and, and, and flavor to our lives. Uh, the, the extra things we like to do from reading to enjoying good music to going to the theater to the movies and so on. And finally there is in the title Faith, Hope, and History. Uh, I love history. If Faith is my profession. History is my hobby. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I enjoy reading historical biographies. I enjoy reading historical accounts, and especially of uh, Western uh, civilization. Uh, I enjoy American history. I enjoy, within American history, Civil War history, uh, the U.S. Constitution. On a much wider scale, I enjoy, obviously, the church's history, the Catholic Church's history, and, and looking into some of these more controversial, misunderstood times of our church's history, institutions of our church's history, which I hope to talk about uh, on occasion in this podcast. Hopefully bring a little bit of an enlightenment to all of us as we come to understand the history of our nation and the history of our church. But not only that, uh, the history of England. I enjoy the uh, English history and the history of the monarchs. Uh, the TV show Game of Thrones was very popular. English history are the real Game of Thrones, the story of the kings and queens of England, and in that, the development of uh, England to be the country that it is today and out of which emerged uh, our nation as a democracy, uh, the development of the English parliament, and so on. I enjoy biblical history, not in terms of the Bible being the truth as this is how it happened, but the fact of the matter is that the Bible is a product of history, a product of ancient history, ancient Western history to be exact. It came out of a period in which uh, uh, Babylon, um, Assyria, Egypt, and then the nation of Israel were all a factor. Eventually, the great ancient civilizations of Greece and Rome, out of which came the writings of the Bible, but not only the biblical history, but the ancient history and the history of Western civilization. I enjoy it, and I always like to look at current events through the lens of the wider picture of history because too many people look 
at what's going on merely in the here and now. And if we know our history, then we can understand in terms things in terms of the big picture, where we've been, where we're going, what we've been through. Uh, and you know, people who don't know history, there's the old phrase, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And that's all well and good, but I'm one who believes that those who don't know history think that their period is the be-all, end-all of all time. Uh, we see symptoms of that with uh, regard to the current generation that has been running things up to now, whether it be the, the nations in question or the church, and perhaps are aging now. And this is the generation that came out of the 60s. What is one thing we see talked about within that generation. In many ways, sometimes I wonder if I am uh, listening to the beginning of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, where he says, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. What do we see today? We see from that generation that came out of the 60s, for example, you know, Vietnam, the Vietnam War was the worst war we've ever gone through. And yet, those of us who know history know, yes, it was not a good war. When is war ever good? But when you look at it against such things as, say, the Civil War, the United States Civil War, and the carnage and destruction to our nation that occurred then, uh, and people who are still alive today who hear uh, younger people say the Vietnam War was the worst war we've ever been through, are wondering, well, I kind of experienced the Second World War, which was also very catastrophic. When we speak of our leaders, we tend to speak of the leaders we like as the best leaders we've ever had, and the ones we don't like as the worst leaders we've ever had. So-and-so is the best president we've had. So-and-so is the worst president we've ever had. And then, of course, making comparisons to bad leaders of the past. He's Hitler, or he's a new George Washington, the good uh, leaders of the past, and sometimes not even knowing what we are saying because we don't know as much about those historical figures that we are now making in comparison to the leaders we like or dislike even today. Uh, we talk about a, 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 um, a, a depression or a recession, and we say that this is the worst recession our nation has ever gone through, and there are some who do remember. What about the Great Depression? We are coming on the heels of a pandemic of COVID-19, and there are those who are saying this is the worst pandemic we have ever experienced, and yet just 100 years ago, we had the pandemic of the Spanish flu. We have the historical pandemic of the Black Death. We have the Justinian plague, all of which had historical ramifications for humanity having gone through it. But when we look at the generations today who do not have a sense of history, then they tend to look at their experiences only in terms of the here and now and not in the wider context and the, and the bigger picture to not downplay the struggles, the badness, or the greatness of situations or leaders today. But we do definitely see something lacking when we can't put it into a particular context to see that, yes, the good leaders we have today build upon the example of leaders of the past, the bad leaders of today. We can compare to bad leaders of the past, the tragedy or struggles that we've had. In many ways, we can look back on them, those in the past, and say, you know, we've been through worse, or we've been through something similar, and we've made it through. I believe very sincerely that having a knowledge of history uh, is so important, and it is important to the other parts of the title of this podcast. I will be talking about the history of the Christian faith, the history of the Catholic Church. I'll be talking about the history behind many of the sites that I will and have visited or the books that I have read or will read 
because the historical context is something that is very, very important. And one thing I believe very, very uh, strongly is if one is to be a great historian or if one is to speak of history, one has to be a good storyteller. And I hope to be that as I bring discussions to you, uh, hopefully on a weekly basis. But I welcome you all to this podcast and I ask for your good wishes, your prayers, and uh, hope you'll be able to join me as I put these forth for your consideration as we come together to discuss faith, hope, and history with Father Bill Nicholas. Uh, I make note that in just a couple of days we will be observing Valentine's Day, and this year it will be on a Sunday. And so I thought I would talk about what is at the heart of Valentine's Day, a very popular day uh, for people because of... Um, of the whole question of love, although I don't know how much it will be celebrated this year because we're still in the throes of lockdown and social alienation, at least in some places. I know here in California, things are still pretty strict, uh, but around the country, uh, people might be able to celebrate Thanksgiving in a way that is meaningful and memorable and hopefully triumphant as we are hopefully coming on the to the end of this pandemic period. Uh, but why is Valentine's Day so popular? It's because of the whole subject of love. And love is, as we know, a topic that we hear thrown around everywhere and pretty much everything. In politics, we hear such things as the freedom to love, usually about various uh, lifestyles that people have. We often uh, invoke love when it comes to our own interpretation of what we think God would do, uh, because God is all about love. In fact, I, I even know of, of priests and other Catholics who will advocate moral teachings and other values contrary to church teaching because they simply say, well, these are the rules, but what would God say about this? And of course, if it's about love, well, we all know what God would say, or at least we think we know what God would say. And somehow we think that what we think God would say would contradict what God has said through the church. So love is perhaps one of the hottest topics in any culture of every time. It's found in a diversity of contexts. We see it in art, we see it in literature, we see it in cultural institutions and social institutions. Uh, we certainly see it as uh, the mainstay and the center of marriage and the family. But just as diverse as the context are the various interpretations of the meaning of love that has been expressed through the centuries, through the ages. In fact, love has, in many ways, as we see it so used nowadays, it's also become an excuse of choice, an excuse of choice that serves as a great legitimizer for various things, various actions, uh, especially that might otherwise be considered uh, immoral to people of the Christian faith or just in the polite sensibilities of society. Uh, well, for example, we see in, in Shakespeare that suicide is in fact romantic and honorable if it's done for love. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't read Shakespeare. I'm not saying Shakespeare is, is bad. I, I happen to be a big fan of Shakespeare. I've seen many of the plays. It's one of my bucket lists to see all of them. But in Romeo and Juliet, love is at the center of the story, leading to the suicide of the two title characters. And this is the case of many love stories throughout cultural history and literary history, as many love stories are tragedies. We see you know, the lovers taking their own lives because their love is now eternal, but love is the excuse for the act of taking one's own life. Uh, sometimes love is used as the excuse for taking another person's life. We call them crimes of passion because sometimes the question of love, or at least what we label as love, is the, is the, uh, the label or the excuse that we put. Uh, this is the case in, uh, uh, in such cases as, say, adultery and other forms of fashionable promiscuity, as long as it's done for love. But in addition to emotion, 
the modern uh, interpretation of love culturally usually includes a degree of sexual attraction. Uh, ever since the moral upheaval of the 60s, love has been associated with various expressions of sexuality. You know, we say, make love, not war. And that became the mantra of many anti-war demonstrations uh, during this period. And in countless movies and novels, love stories just simply cannot be told without some explicit expression of sexuality, whether it's between adults, uh, between teenage children, and especially, especially between unmarried couples. In the many socio-political debates over sexuality and sexual orientation, as we like to call it, love is often the great legitimizer and uh, it gives an excuse or a legitimacy to such fashionable promiscuities. Uh, what if you love him or her is often asked by teenagers when trying to morally justify being sexually active as teenagers, as high school students. Uh, in the debate over same-sex unions, advocates more often than not reduce the issue to a question of love and its expression between two people. Uh, the debate over who should be allowed to adopt includes the argument that children are being given a home where they are loved. Love becomes the central issue. And in some cases, even these horrendous movements seeking to legalize a quote-unquote consensual relationship between an adult and a minor often states, well, it's a question of love. It's a relationship of love. So more often than not, love is very narrowly interpreted on the emotional or sexual level. In our modern cultural mindset, love is usually understood as an intense uh, emotional uh, bubble of happiness or a bubble of warm fuzzy focused on a particular individual or object. You know, I just love that doggy in the window. And on occasions when married couples choose to divorce, what is often said, I just don't love him or her anymore. We just don't love each other anymore. So given all this, how often do we consider love as it's expressed in the religious context, and in particular in the scriptural context and the Christian context, which really reflect each other. Reflection on the meaning of love in those contexts in many ways makes the modern notions of love all the more callous, all the more ridiculous, and in some cases even uh, scandalous. Now even St. Paul, in his first epistle to the Corinthians, contains what is arguably one of the most well-known and most popular passages of the Bible. And that is the passage, love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc., etc. The vast majority of weddings that I have celebrated, and I'm pretty sure the vast majority of weddings, period, one way or another, include this passage or portions of it. But what exactly does that passage tell us? Not only about the reality of love, but of love as, as it is intended and expressed by God himself. We always love to equate God with love. When we say, what would God say? Well, God would say it's about love. So if it's about love, it's okay. But when we look at this context, and, and we believe the scriptures are the word of God, love is described as, what are the words? Patient, kind, truthful, hopeful, and enduring. Note what it does not say about love. Love is not described as perpetually happy or emotionally ecstatic. It's not described as an absence of anger or an absence of sadness or an absence of, of depression. There is, in fact, no reference to emotion 
in this entire passage of St. Paul. Which is ironic, considering the emotional response this passage tends to evoke. Instead, it says that love is not envious, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not irritable, resentful, or gloating. These are intellectual and attitudinal dispositions, not emotional words. Love, therefore, in the biblical sense, and therefore in the Christian sense, is not emotional or sexual. It may include those things, but at its heart, it's not emotional or sexual. Rather, love is an attitude. It's an intellectual disposition. And love is one of the most basic commandments Jesus gives us. We love to quote Jesus. What does Jesus say? He said, love one another. Many people, you, know, you can completely reduce the entire scripture, which is a couple of inches thick, into a four-letter word. What does the Bible say? It says love. What did Jesus say? Jesus said love. Well, trust me, folks, Jesus said more things in his Gospels alone than love. And the Bible says a lot more things in the entire volume of the Scriptures than just love. However, when we love to, when we love to or enjoy uh, uh, invoking Jesus and saying, what did he say? And we say he told us just to love and everything is just about love. What exactly does Jesus say about love? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now here again, love is much more than an emotional temperament, because Jesus adds another detail to love. And this is a detail that most people overlook when they're quoting this passage, sometimes at the drop of a hat. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Live on in my love. Okay? Then he goes on to say, you live in my love, if you do what I command you. Now, shortly thereafter, following his love one another command, Jesus states again that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And then he goes on to say, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. So, love is not just a matter of emotion or sexuality. It's not a warm fuzzy nor is, nor is it a big bubble of ecstatic happiness. Rather, it's an intellectual and attitudinal disposition that begins and ends with obedience to God's commands and essentially obedience to God himself. Now, how does that match up to the more popular notions we see with regard to love? Uh, early on, you heard me make reference to the emotional upheaval uh, excuse me, the uh, sexual upheaval, the moral upheaval of the 1960s, in which the subject of love, you know, gained a prominence in our cultural mindset, make love, not war, and, and especially in comparison with the carnage coming out of the Vietnam War, which we saw daily on television, read about in the newspapers, and we heard in political debates, and even perhaps debates we had in home, uh, love came to be that contrary to war, and we began to hear and say such slogans as, make love, not war. And, uh, you know, popular songs came to, uh, to uh, be heard, such as um, the song, All You Need Is Love. So while many of that generation would have us think that they were being revolutionary, such themes, however, emphasizing love, were not new to the human, and in particular, the Christian mindset. You know, love was not invented in the 60s. Uh, 
And such has been the constant theme, however, behind the basic good news that Christianity professes. News of our salvation. We celebrated at great length during uh, the celebration of Christ's resurrection uh, in, in the Easter season. So given that, would either Jesus or the apostles, particularly St. John, who has in his gospel the command, love one another as I have loved you, how would Jesus or St. John have felt with the modern connotations of love? Would they have felt at home during the 60s with such lackluster, exhaustive, dreary, mind-numbingly avant-garde talk of love? Or might they have stood out like two sore thumbs in the midst of the modern jaded monotony of the... Um, the cliché of love. Because the understanding of love, which both Jesus and the author of John's Gospel speak, is expressed briefly, as I said, in that commandment, love one another. And Jesus expands upon this eloquently in the verses following, as I said. John also develops this concept in his first letter his first epistle, he points out that God has set the standard of love. Where he says, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and exhorts us to let us love one another because love is of God. So the love spoken of by Jesus is different from the popular cliches that are so prominent in our, our cultural, social, political mindset. His command is, live in my love, and he gives a very specific classification to the love we are called to live. You will live in my love if you keep my commandments. It's one thing to say love, but the pinnacle of love is self-sacrifice for a friend. And then he calls his disciples friends, if you do what I command you. So keeping God's commands is at the heart. It's essential to the love we are called to live. Without total obedience to God, total obedience to his commandments, call it what we might, it's not love. So on further examination of the popular slogans regarding love that grew out of the moral mayhem of the 60s that still linger in our modern cultural mindset, we place those along the, the uh, standard of love that's expressed by the very existence and actions of God. We might recognize other more exacting denotations that divulge the true connotation behind popular cultural slogans. Make love, not war, can be more precisely understood to mean be promiscuous, not violent. But the Christian understanding of love, as Jesus taught it, would declare, in contrast, be neither promiscuous nor violent, but obey God. The popular refrain that came out of the, come out, comes out of the song, all you need is love, can attain greater exactitude in the Christian context. All you need is obedience to God. What do you, how do you think those ideas would be reacted to in today's society? Such ideas expressing this true nature of love, 
taught by both Jesus and St. John the Evangelist, love that's intended by God may not have been quite so popular during the so-called summer of love and during the overall phenomenon of the 60s. Our response to such popular cliches as followers of Christ might be to respond with that other question arising from popular culture. What's love got to do with it? And when people say, make love, not war, or all you need is love, or it's a freedom to love, or it's just about love, just answer, what's love got to do with it? What does all those cliches have to do with the love in the biblical sense and in the Christian sense? God has set that standard. Yeah, he set the standard by sacrificing his son. And in turn, he further expanded the standard of love by the living and acting, first and foremost, in total obedience to the Father. And then Jesus imposed those standards on his followers when he commands us to live on in his love. So in short, as we come into this day of um, a Valentine's Day, a day in which love is, is at the center of that day, and we have love in our relationships, we have love between a husband and wife, People who are in love, who have been in love, come together, they celebrate their love on, on Valentine's Day. Let's look at how we love in light of our Christian faith, in light of the love that God calls us to live, and how that compares to the modern, ideolo the modern ideology of popular culture articulated in the cliches. Because when Jesus says, love one another, as I have loved you, he's speaking of a love that's in total obedience to the commands of God, giving ourselves totally to the will of God. And that God is the very embodiment of true and authentic love. So there are a few thoughts on the first podcast that I offer to you on this day, just a few days before Valentine's Day. Hope to uh, have you return and hope that these comments are, um, are interesting, stimulating to, to you and your faith and, and your understanding of just how we live our lives, how we deal with that faith. And I look forward to being with you again. So I, I thank you for joining me, and I'll see you again soon. Take care, and all the best.